We're in the Gospel of John. Um, we're going into chapter 5 today. Uh, how many of you would agree that there are some areas in your life where hope is high? Like there's just these certain areas like you know there's confidence, there's hope. Like you don't even, you don't even struggle with hopelessness in this area of your life. Or maybe there's a few areas that you don't. How many of you, show of hands, or, or got some areas in your life that you're aware of? Okay, those that didn't raise your hand, are you even paying attention to yourself? <laughs> you got me curious now, because um, I know none of you are in complete hopelessness. How many of you would also be honest enough to say that there's some places in my life where hope is less? Like, it's, it's just something, and, and maybe the enemy comes against me regularly in this area, and maybe it's been a struggle uh, for some time. Um, but there's just these, these maybe one or two or three areas in my life where hope just seems to be less. So today I want to speak to the areas in your life where hope is less. The title of my message is Almost Hopeful. What the Lord showed me is that there's a bunch of us here today, we're on the brink of hopeful, but we're not there yet. We're kind of just sitting in some hopeless areas, but we're on the brink of hopeful. <laughs> you see, one of the beauties, one of the many beauties of being in biblical community, like we talk about and we get to experience here at the church, is that the closer we get to each other, the more transparent we have to become. So whether you intend to be transparent or not, the closer you let people into your life, the more transparent your life becomes. That's a beautiful thing. I would say overall, it's a beautiful thing. I think most people are scared to get, let people come in close because you're afraid of what they're going to see. So you, you live guarded. You, lived with, you live with barriers or stipulations, if they, if they don't say this or they don't do that, I'll let them in a little bit closer. And for some of you, trust is so high, like it's, on the outside, it seems almost impossible to get close to you. Even with pure motives. But it's a beautiful thing to have others close to you because God designed us to have that kind of relationship. And I'm afraid the enemy's been stealing it from most of us. When you get into this type of biblical community and transparency starts to happen, people get to see stuff about each other that you didn't see on Sunday morning. There's the good, they get to see the bad. They also get to see the beautiful, and they get to see, here it is, this is what you're most afraid of, the ugly. Oh, man, if they knew that about me, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you'll, you'll discover in biblical community the areas in each other's lives where you're either high in hope or hope is found less. And I want to just kind of interrupt for a second and just give you a little quick teaching on 
when you discover somebody's area of hope less, that's not a place to judge. It's a place to encourage because we're on the same team. Last time I checked, when the team's united, we always win. So if I see a point of hopeless in, your, hopeless in your life, it's not for me to judge it and condemn it. It's actually for me to speak life over it and to encourage you in it. <laughs> That's what the church should be. It should be an encouraging place. Do we talk about truth? Do we talk about sin? Yeah, we talk about all those things. Not with the intentions to condemn. That's the devil's job. Last time I checked, he's the condemner. We're not. That even applies to parents and children. Are you correcting them or are you condemning them? Ah, I may not have enough time to mess with that. Because you see, you can, you can under the banner of good parenting call correction condemnation. Explain a little bit. Let me see if I can quickly. When correction leads to life, it's healthy. When correction leads to death, it's unhealthy. You correct with hope that change can happen. You correct with their future in mind, not like it's all ended and it's over with now. It's kind of the difference between, oh, you done blew it now. You about to go see Jesus. Right? To, you're better than this. I raised you better than this. I've exampled to you better than this. One gives life, one condemns. So this is what seems to be unique about these hopeless areas in our lives is that the area we are hopeless in are the areas that are usually holding us back. You can be killing it in many areas of your life, but there's always this one thing that kind of drags you down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's always this one, this hopeless area in my life Holds me back. Like when I start to get a little bit of momentum, boom. The anchor tightens, the chain tightens, and I get held back. You could call it a hindrance, a disability. The Bible sometimes calls it lameness. I've, I've had many surgeries in my life. I've had two knee surgeries and two back surgeries and three toe surgeries. I got the ugliest feet on the planet. No, I'm joking. Well, maybe. I never got in a contest. But I had three big toe, ingrown toenail surgeries. Like my mom loved me so much, she told the doctor to do both of them at one time. I'm like, how am I supposed to walk? I did get pizza and ice cream, though. I've, I've had a lot of surgeries. My most recent surgery was a back surgery that I was stubborn because, you know, only a few of us men are stubborn. I, I was stubborn and I waited too long to go have the surgery and there was some nerve damage 
And I had, I had what you call drop foot in my left foot. So I would walk, and I was always a pretty graceful walker. Like, I could walk through the house at night, and you wouldn't even know I was there. I know that's shocking because I'm built like a gorilla. But I could walk through the house, and you wouldn't even know I'm there. Virginia, on the other hand, we call her walks with thunder. Like, you know when Virginia gets out the bed. Love you, Jen. So, so I could always walk pretty gracefully, pretty nimble on my feet for a big fella. I'd shock you sometimes. But with this drop foot thing, it became a hindrance. I was never a clumsy person, never a person that would trip very often. I found myself walking through the yard or the pasture, and I would trip because my foot would plop. I call it plop foot. It's like I walk now, it's like plop, 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 like I'm dragging on old dead anchor or something, just like plop, plop. And it's gotten better, <laughs> praise God, but it's become a hindrance to me. Now, I'm not in the running world anymore. The only time you'll ever see me running, you better start running too. Either there's a great meal ahead of me or a big bear behind me. But either way, if I'm running, you better come on with me. <laughs> and listen, I ain't trying to win. I'm just trying not to be last. You'll get that later. But it's become a stumbling thing, or has been a stumbling thing, when I would walk around. So Jesus told me today that he wants to, he wants to help all of us in the area that you find yourself hopeless, where there's less hope. In fact, he told me to ask you a question. And here's the question. I want you to write it down. I'm going to get you to participate today. You're going to write some things down. And then we're going to do an experimental thing at the end. Or experiential, not experimental. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's one of those churches. Here's the question. And this, he's asking this to you personally, so don't think of, a nobody, of, of anybody else. This is for you. Do you want me to take care of that? Here's the thing you need to know. He knows what that is. And he's not judging you for it. He's asking you instead, do you want me to take care of that? You see, he came today to ask you to take care of that area in your life that, that continues to be a stumbling block. A place where you find less hope. So did you write the question down? Good. Let's go to John chapter 5. I'm going to read you the first four verses from the New King James Version because it, it adds in verse number 4. Most other translations don't add, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse 4. Most other translations don't add 4, and I'll explain to you in a minute. So verse 1 says, after this, after Jesus had done the last thing, there was a feast of the Jews... Um, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel 
went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Interesting. Most other translations don't put chapter 4 in there because there was no way to verify that. It's not even, it's not even like biblical truth. It was more of a superstition. So I don't want you to sit around waiting for some angel to show up in your life and stir something up. Okay, I'm going to read it to you from the, the NLT. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, so say crowds. There was crowds of them. Blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. So it's interesting to me, the list of people that are waiting by this pool for some angel to show up and stir the water. There's a crowd of them. Lame, paralyzed, sick. I'm going, you're paralyzed. How are you going to get in the pool? It's interesting, wouldn't you say? I also find it interesting when I discover what people will do to get relief from pain. I find it interesting the extremes people will go to to relieve pain. I find it interesting. I'm not judging it. I just find it interesting. Let me share a couple of them I found in my own family. My grandmother suffered with arthritis. How many of you know arthritis is legit and it's, it's painful, right? It's really painful. And she, my grandmother was a hard worker. She worked till she died. Uh, she, she'd say, I'm going to take care of the old folks. And she was in her 80s. And she was. She was taking care of a man who was 90. <laughs> but she had these, these aches. And one day I went in her house and I, I was like, Grandma, what's that? She goes, what? I said, something smells like WD-40. She goes, oh, yeah, I sprayed some. Well, what's wrong? You need me to fix something? No. I spray it on my joints because they hurt, and it makes it better. What I wanted to say was, have you been to Aunt Liz's shop and drank some of that Kool-Aid they drink over there on Fridays? <laughs> but I didn't say that because I got my mouth slapped. I was like, WD-40? So I had to ask the question, did it work? Oh, yeah, it works. Really? Like, how long does it work? Well, a day or so. Okay. So grandma would spray her WD-40. And when you went to grandma's house, it smelled like WD-40. I don't mind the smell of WD-40. But grandma thought it was helping with her arthritis. And I just sat back and went, I mean, we didn't have Google in those days, so I couldn't verify it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I just had to take a word for it because, I mean, you don't disagree with Grandma, right? She raised 10 kids. She'd punch me in the mouth in a heartbeat. So Grandma would use WD-40 to deal with her arthritis. My mom, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny, not funny story. My mom, uh, when brain cancer came back, she was trying everything under the sun. 
every organic medicine she could, everything she could put her hands on. Um, my mom was strict Baptist, raised up, just strict Baptist. And she married a guy who was strict Catholic. And that was interesting. Um, and so after my mom had tried everything she could to get healed from cancer, she went to a Catholic, I'm going to try to say this right, Lisa corrected me this week, it's a traitor, okay, sorry, I'm not good at rolling the tongue thing, unless I'm praying in tongues, or French, whatever it is, but she went to one of those people, okay, to get healed. Now, she didn't tell me she was going, but she just went, and I heard about it on the backside. So she went to this meeting with this, yeah, y'all can't even say it, so don't judge me. So she goes to this thing, and, and, and her, her husband's name was Pummy. Now, my mama was almost six foot tall, big boned, but good looking, kind of like me. And, and Pummy was like five foot and a little round, but he was just a good guy. So they went, odd couple already. So Pummy tells a story. He says, man, we went up into that church, and they had people in line. And that guy would put his hand on people, and they would fall on the floor. And I was like, oh, I was scared. And he said, we went up, and I'm standing behind your mom. And I put my hand on her back in case she fell. And when he touched her, he said, some explicitives, I fell. <laughs> I'm the one that, she didn't fall, I fell. So it didn't work. She knew it wasn't going to work. She, she knew who Jesus is. She knew that. But she got so desperate. Come on. She got so desperate that she would reach for things that are ungodly. Sometimes we can get so desperate we do things like WD-40. Grandma and I are going to laugh about the WD-40 when I get to heaven. I'm telling you right now. She might have used WD-40, but she went to heaven. She just, you know, whatever. You see, what was funny is she had hope in something that maybe could happen by chance. So it's funny how people will sit in hopelessness waiting for the same old things to somehow work different this time. Without raising your hands, maybe that's you. Maybe you've been sitting in, the, in hopelessness waiting for something to change by chance. And you haven't even paid attention to how long you've been waiting in hopelessness. You see, what's, what's dangerous about waiting in hopelessness too long is that you begin to make excuses for yourself and for others. When you got to start making excuses for your hopelessness, you've been there too long. When you got to try to justify your hopelessness or the thing that you're waiting for that you think or hope is going to change you, You'll have to soon start making excuses as to why it didn't. 
Verse 5 and 6 says this. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. How many of you know that's a lifetime? 38 years he'd been there. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him the same question he's asking all of us today, would you like to get well? Oh, there's so much in this. 38 years of being lame. I wonder how many of us have been lame with something that maybe not everyone can see, but it's something we've been dragging around and it's been holding us back. It's a hopeless area in our life and we can't seem to shake it and we may try something new and when it doesn't work, we have to make up a new excuse for why it's not working and we got to try to justify our actions because something in my life ain't changing and I'm, not, I'm too afraid to ask the question, why is it not changing? I'm too afraid to ask the right person the question, why is it not changing? 38 years. Thirty-eight years of using WD-40. <laughs> you see, this guy wasn't the only one there. There was a multitude of them. There was a crowd of them. In fact, there was five porches. I would encourage you to look up the Pool of Bethesda. It's a massive place. The water was 30 foot deep. Man, that's a pool. It had five porches around it where all these people would sit. You know what's funny about hopelessness is it tends to attract more hopelessness. You can see it at the gas station. Next time somebody pulls across from the pump, across the pump from you, say, hey, how you doing? And see what comes out of their mouth next. It will probably be Biden, fuel prices, inflation, and so on. Hopeless. So my questions were this. What caused Jesus to choose this guy? Out of all the people, why this guy? And I don't have an answer for it. You see, Jesus wasn't even planning to stop at the pool. He was there for the celebration. He's walking past the pool. He, pull, he walks into the place where the, the colonnade, where the, the, the porches are, and he, he walks up to this guy, and Jesus knows how long the guy's been ill. They didn't have any conversation before this. Jesus just walks up, sees the guy, knows how long he's been ill, and asks him a question, do you want to get well? Can I tell you today that Jesus knows where you've been, what you've been walking through. He knows what's hopeless in your life. He knows how you got there. He knows how you'll get out. He knows everything that he needs to know about your problem. But he knows your problem and he knows how long you've been there. And he's asking you a question today. Do you want me to take care of that? So just to be clear, Jesus approaches the man with a question. The man doesn't approach Jesus with the question. 
The man didn't come looking for Jesus. The man was looking at the pool. Because you see, you got to pay attention to the pool. Because when the waters stir, you got to be the first one in the pool to get it well. So you can't afford to look anywhere else because all of his hope was in the pool. Jesus walked up from somewheres, stood next to the man who was looking in the pool for his answers, and Jesus asked him a question with a solution to his problem. Ah! The man was so fixed on what he thought was the solution to his problem that he didn't know how or notice how close Jesus was. It's amazing to watch people and see how big their problems become in their life and their problems start to control their life. So much so that you don't even notice that Jesus is standing there. Much less hear him ask the question, do you want me to take care of that? Sometimes we get so fixated on what we think the solution is to our problem that we miss Jesus the entire time. I've learned the hard way, my solutions usually aren't Jesus's. In fact, I learned it so hard that now I start to pray a little different. Instead of telling him what he needs to do, I start asking him to do what he knows needs to be done. Big shift. How many of you would say, I'm so fixed on my solution that I haven't noticed Jesus is here. I'm getting ready to mess with some of your theology. So, so get yourself ready. This is going to be fun. Verse 7, here's the guy's excuses. You ready? Here comes the excuses. So Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? Look at the first words out of his mouth. I can't. I can't. I can't do this no more. I can't take it any longer. I can't walk through this. I can't live this way. I can't stand you. I can't be healed. I'll never. It'll never. Any of that sound familiar? I can't, sir, the sick man said. Here comes the excuses. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. The day you start growing up is the day you quit blaming other people. The day you start to mature as a Christian is the day you quit putting that responsibility on somebody else. I can't. I can't. 
They won't change. They won't do this. This won't happen. Nobody will help me. Nobody's here for me. You know what you're reciting? You're reciting the words of the devil. Because he's convinced you that you can't, and he's convinced you that nobody's there for you. Look at me. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The scriptures tell me that there's a crowd of witnesses cheering me on. If I can't hear it, it's because I've become deaf by the enemy's voice, and I don't hear heaven's voice anymore. So instead of hearing the shouts of the crowd in heaven, I'm hearing the murmurs of the enemy convince me that I can't, nobody's there, nobody will help me, nobody else wants to change. And the whole time you have the authority to tell the devil to shut up. But you don't. Instead, you keep listening. You keep taking it. It's like trying to sleep with a mosquito buzzing in your ear. You may need to get up and close the window. And swat a couple of mosquitoes so you can rest. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to live tormented. So the man came with his excuses. I want you to notice a couple things about this. Jesus never talks about his excuse. In fact, Jesus disregards his excuse. <laughs> like didn't even, he didn't even pause on the man's excuse. Didn't give it a minute to talk about his excuse. Didn't try to prove to him that his excuse was wrong. Didn't try to counsel him out of his excuse. Jesus said nothing about his excuse. Look at what he says. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. couple of things to notice. The man never asked to be healed. The man was focused on the pool. So focused on the pool, he never saw Jesus walk up. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? I can't. Get up. Let me ask you some questions. Are you prepared for Jesus to disregard your excuses? Because we've been ingrained to believe that our excuses need to be validated. We've been ingrained that if somebody doesn't at least acknowledge my excuse, then they don't care about me. Is that true here? Jesus cared enough about the man that he didn't waste a minute on his excuses. Rather, he just healed him. That's a full expression of love. I don't care about your excuse. I don't care about what you've been through. I don't even care how you got here. I know you're here, and I know how long you've been here. Just get up and walk. Like, let's not give glory to the excuse. 
we got to quit glorifying excuses. The minute your excuse takes precedence over Jesus, you're in trouble. What if Jesus is not willing to accept your excuse? Are you ready for that? You need to ask yourself this question. Are you ready for him to just move on past your excuse? <laughs> what if he doesn't believe your excuse? Oh, my. Jesus doesn't believe my excuses. What if, instead of giving glory to your excuse, rather he gives you instructions for life? Would you be okay with that? If you're not, it's because you've glorified your excuses for too long in your life. They've got a stronghold in your life. See, I used to use my family as an excuse. I'm a Tyler. So when I go to Franklin, there's this amount of nervousness that rolls up inside of me because my people got a bad reputation in Franklin. Like if the cops put the lights on you in Franklin and you're a Tyler, y'all see something in me y'all don't see in my family. I've been born again. I don't live under that excuse anymore. The generational family curses are broken in the name of Jesus. I don't live by that anymore. So all the excuses are broken. The generational excuses are broken. <laughs> so Jesus tells the guy, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the Bible says that instantly he was healed. Pay attention. The man never said anything after Jesus said to stand up, take up your mat, and walk. Did he? He never said, I believe you, and then it happened, right? The man had no faith. Can Jesus heal somebody without faith? He didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't even respond. He was sitting there in his excuse, focused on what he thought was the solution. I hope somebody will be here this time. I hope somebody will bring me to the pool. I hope I can make it this time. 38 years, I'm getting a little bit tired. Jesus is standing right here. He's focused over there. Do you want to get well? I can't. I can't. It can't happen. No faith. None whatsoever. 
and he walks that day. He never showed an amount, any amount of faith. It's believed that he was healed without faith, and it's proven in Scripture that he didn't even know who Jesus was. So to all my faith people, whom I love dearly and I'm proud of, seriously, even faith can become an idol. Because you'll start to put faith in front of Jesus. And you see, your faith has to do with you and who you put your faith in. So if you're not careful, you'll put faith in your ability to have faith. Instead of faith in Jesus who can do anything. So, so what I'm not saying is don't act in faith. What I'm not saying is don't grow your faith. I'm not saying stop growing your faith. Grow your faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. So we all need to be growing in faith. But listen to me. There is a point in time where Jesus, who's the king of all kings, can walk up into your life and can do a miracle with your lack of faith. He can do a miracle even if you know, don't realize he's standing there. He can walk into your life and change something. When are you going to believe that? Why? Because he's Jesus. It's believed he did this miracle to fulfill prophecy from Isaiah 35. Watch this. If this don't tickle your fancy, you might need to give your heart to Jesus again. Isaiah 35, 1 to 6. Watch this. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. Talking about the days that Jesus comes. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Come on, somebody. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wastelands. When Jesus walks into the room, things have to change. When Jesus walks into your life, things have to change. He doesn't need your permission. He changes them. Some of you are sitting on the edge of hopeful. You're almost hopeful. How do I know that? 
because you're here. Completely hopeless people aren't here. So on the same piece of paper you wrote the question down, I want you to write down your most famous excuse. Don't worry, you're not going to turn it in. <laughs> write down your most famous excuse. I'm telling you right now, if you'll do this, write it down. You know what it is. You heard it, and you might have heard it getting dressed this morning. In fact, you might hear it in your children. Write it down. We're getting ready to do something with it. Three lessons about Jesus real quick. Number one, Jesus sees me. For some of you that just broke the yoke of the enemy, Jesus sees me. Jesus sees me. Jesus sees what we can't see. He sees beyond what we can see. In order for him to see us, he must be looking for us because Jesus doesn't do anything accidentally. So there's a big difference between someone who sees something by accident and someone who is looking for something. Jesus is looking at you. He's looking for you. He's looking within you. He sees you. You are not alone. You are not left in the wilderness. He sees you. Look at the person next to you and say, he sees you. He sees in you. He sees ahead of you. He sees behind you. <laughs> People used to tell us that to keep us out of sin. Jesus wants us to know that he sees us to keep us living. It's not to keep, it's not like, oh, Jesus is going to pull your toes in bed tonight because he saw what you did. It's not that. Jesus sees you and he wants to walk up alongside of you and ask you the question today, do you want me to take care of that? Number two, Jesus knows my troubles. Jesus sees me. Jesus knows my troubles. He knows my troubles. You think you've been hiding them. You may be really good at hiding them from other people. But you cannot hide your troubles from Jesus. I've learned this. Jesus has never been surprised by my realization of my troubles. Meaning, when I go to Jesus with my troubles, he doesn't sit there and go, oh, You serious? That happened? OMG. Jesus has never done that. Jesus, I'm in trouble. Yeah, I know. I've been here the whole time. He's never panicked in my life. Jesus doesn't even bite his nails. He's not nervous. He's in control. He knows my troubles. 
Not only does he know my troubles, he knows how I got into that trouble. And he knows how to get out of that trouble. <laughs> you see, only the people who truly love you want to know your troubles in order to help you. Some of them want to know your troubles in order to gossip about you or judge you. But only the people that truly love you want to know your troubles to help you. Number three, Jesus wants to help me. What I know to be a true, what I know to be true about Jesus from experience with Jesus, this is my experiences. My experiences with Jesus have led me to this point of understanding that more times than not, Jesus approaches me rather than I approach Jesus. Jesus comes to me to help me more than I go to him to ask for help. You got that? Chew on that for a while. Jesus comes to me. Here's the secret. Your ears have to be open and your eyes have to be clear. It's hard to hear Jesus asking questions when you're buried in social media, when you're buried in politics, when you're buried in all the idols, when you're buried in fear and unforgiveness, when you're buried in all those things, it's hard to hear Jesus But he wants to help me. He, he's proved this by being the first one to ask. Sometimes I sit down with Jesus for a quiet time thinking that I've got this agenda, I've got this plan that I want to talk to him about or I want to get something from him. And he blindsides me with something that wasn't even on my radar. He usually asks questions. You see, Jesus is a good question asker. What about this? How do you feel about that? Or he'll say, let's talk about this today. Oh, yeah, you knew about that. Okay, let's talk about it. And he's asking every one of us today, you want me to take care of that for you? So did you write down your excuse? Shake your head if you did. You wrote down your excuse. You got it on a piece of paper. It needs to be on a piece of paper because you're going to do something with it. So if you wrote it in your phone, you might want to hurry up and translate it to a piece of paper. Trust me. Okay. Take your excuse, lean to the left or the right, and slip it underneath your seat, underneath your butt or your bum. Slip it there. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> Most churches don't do this. <laughs> but just slip it under your bum. I'm going somewhere. Lord, help me. <sighs> this is really funny from my perspective, I'm just telling you. To see you lean to the side. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not looking. Sit on it. So catch this revelation. 
Some of you have been sitting on that for a long time. That ends today. You know what it is. Jesus knows what it is. You've been sitting on it too long. So now I want you to take it out from underneath your bum. And I want you to place it under your feet. Don't worry about messing up the floors. They're ugly already. Put it under your feet and keep it there. If you feel the need to stand up on it, you can. Now receive what Jesus has for you today. Just receive it. Just receive it. Whether you know it or not, you came to church today much like that man sitting at the pool. And maybe you thought it was just going to be another Sunday. Maybe you thought, I like the book of John. But you walked into a moment that Jesus set up today where he told me while I was writing the message on Wednesday to do exactly what you just did. He told me to preach this message. He told me to ask the question. He told me to tell you to write the question down. He told me to tell you to sit on the question. Then he told me to tell you to stand on the, I mean, sit on the excuse. Then he told me to tell you to, to put the excuse under your foot. Then he said this. You ready? says that instantly the man was healed he rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk this miracle happened on the Sabbath so the Jewish leaders objected they said to the man who was cured you can't work on the Sabbath and the enemy would try to lie to you today and tell you that this ain't gonna work tell him he's lying doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat but he replied the man who healed me told me to pick up your mat and walk who said such a thing as that they demanded the man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd but afterward Jesus found him in the temple, told him, now you're well. Stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. 
some of you are having a hard time right now wrapping your head around the fact that you can't do anything for Jesus to touch you. You can't do anything right now to receive this kind of a miracle. You can't say the right words. You can't make the right expressions. You can't think the right thoughts. You can't repent of enough sin for Jesus to do this kind of a miracle in your life and you're having a hard time with that. Let me encourage you with something. Refuse to let the enemy convince you that you have to do something to be healed. get ahead of the game people you tend to get too far down the road what I find interesting about this story is Jesus found the man the first time he also found the man a second time so this is not a once and done with Jesus you're not going to walk away today and see that he's done something in your life. Maybe something broke today. You're not going to walk away and think, well, I'll never see Jesus again. He did the one thing for me that, that needed to be done. Now we're done. No, Jesus will find you again. And what, what almost sounds like a judgment to the guy about sin was rather encouragement to not sin because sin will lead you to lameness that's worse than physical lameness. not only did Jesus love him enough to heal him, Jesus loved him enough to encourage him on how to continue to live. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the people going to ask you questions like those religious folks. You can't do that. Your marriage can't be saved. You can't repent. You can't be happy. You're going through some junk. You can't rejoice. You can't be free. Your mama was bound. Your daddy was bound. Your mama was bound. You going to be bound. You are so-and-so. Shut up. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So you don't have to do anything else. Is it possible? To walk into this little church one way and just simply walk out changed. Lord, I pray we experience that today. Lord, walk with us this week. Open your hands towards others. Walk with us this week, starting right now. Show us how to walk in freedom. Show us how to pick up a mat, stand up and walk. Even when the religious folks come, even when the naysayers come, even when the enemy tries to come against us, Jesus teaches how to walk in a miracle. Teaches how to walk in freedom. Teaches how to walk with hope. How to live hopeful instead of hopeless.
So I want you to make this declaration with me. It's important what you say. You heard that? The things that you say are important. They either give life or death. I remember when Patty was in the hospital and she had COVID. And I couldn't go see her, but we talked on the phone. Patty, you'll remember this. We were, we were nervous for Patty to, to get COVID. She had some other, other health issues that, like, according to the news, Patty should have never lived. Patty's laying in the hospital, and I said these words to her. I said, Patty, every time fear comes, every time doubt comes, I want you to say this. She said, okay. I said, say it with me. I will live and not die. And she said, I will live and not die. So, okay, every time you get anxious, worried, fearful, whatever it is, just say that. So I'm saying that to say this. What you say is important. So let's say something together that's important. I am filled with hope. I am hope full. Full of hope. Some days my best answer is, I don't know, but Jesus is good. Some days that's all I got. I don't know, but Jesus is gonna. The Lord bless us as we go today. May your spirit walk with us. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And would you use us like you used the lame man who wasn't even looking for a miracle to tell others about Jesus, to tell others about you, Lord. May we be bold, confident, and courageous saturated in love when we walk out into this dark demonic world. May we be a beam of light that shines into the darkness. May we be a beacon of hope and when hopeless people get around us instead of us becoming hopeless they would become hopeful. I release that over this church today. And God, we would see in our own way, each individual one of us, we would see your hand. We would know that you're with us. We would, we would sense your presence. And we would see your miracle signs and wonders in front of us as we go this way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this moment. 